We've all been told nobody's perfect. But then I've been told practice makes perfect. So which is it? I could practice singing until Jesus comes. And I will not sound like these guys here. But if perfection is something that's out of our reach, then why does it seem like God expects perfection from us? All of us want to grow and progress in our spiritual walks, but we don't want the problems that are the very vehicles, that are the very tools that God uses to help us to mature and to help us to grow. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. You're a masterpiece under construction. And the Apostle Paul made it clear that God is determined to complete this good work that he has started. And this week, Charles Tapp begins a new series of messages based on lessons Paul shares in his letter to the Philippians with part one of God's Good Work. Today I'm going to begin a series on the book of Philippians that I've titled God's Good Work, Lessons from Philippians. We're going to be looking at the entire epistle of Philippians. And if you know anything about Philippians, you recognize that it's part of a larger body of work that we call the prison epistles, which includes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. But when you read Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, you get an understanding that if Paul was honest, Paul would admit to you, he would admit to me that Paul had his favorites. I believe the church at Philippi was Paul's favorite church. And the reason I say that is because when you begin to read it, it sounds like Paul has this intimate love affair with this group. It sounds even like parental language. For Paul says things like, every time I pray, I remember you. And whenever I thank God for his blessings, I thank God for you. Paul loved the church at Philippi. How many of you are parents and you have more than one child? How many of you know that you will always have at least one child that will keep you on your knees. But then you have that child that does everything you want them to do. They're just the most obedient child ever. If you ask them to take out the trash, they'll say something like, no, because I already have done it. You pray, you wish, you hope. Well, this was the church at Philippi. Paul looked at this church as a child that was obedient, who did everything that they needed to do. Take a look at it for yourselves in Philippians chapter 1 as we read verses 2 to verse 4. Philippians 1, 2 to 4. Look at what God's Word says here. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he says here in verse 3. I thank God upon every, what? Remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with what? All joy. Every time, Paul says, I pray, I lift you 
up in prayer. I thank God for you. But then in verse five, he tells them why. He tells them why that every time he prays, he remembers them and lifts them up in prayer. For in verse five, look at what it says here. Because of your fellowship in the gospel. In other words, he's saying, because of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ, I thank God for you. From the very first time, he says, that you entered into this relationship, I have been remembering you in prayer. You know, one of the greatest times in a parent's life is when their child takes his or her first step. You remember that? Some of you may even have video of it, especially now since we have iPhones and phones are more than phones. Phones are everything now. You know why that's so special and when that means so much when a child takes his or her first step? Because once that child takes their first step, life for them and for you will never be the same. How many of you know I'm telling the truth? Because when they take that first step and once they begin to be able to stand and balance themselves and walk, you know from that point on their lives are filled with great expectations. Paul says, I remember from the very first moment you entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, Paul is saying, I've had nothing for you but great expectations. But then Paul really gets bold. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, you know what? I'm so confident of this, that the God who began this good work in you, Paul says, will finish it, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? And the good work that Paul is talking about here is not the good work that the church of Philippi was doing for him while he was in prison, although they did take very good care of him. But the good work that he's talking about is the transformational work that takes hold of every Christian when we invite the Spirit of God into our lives. And Paul says, I'm confident that the God who started this work in you, he's going to complete it, he's going to finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. How do I know that, he says, because I've already witnessed what God is doing in your life. And I love how Ellen White puts it in the book Desire of Ages on the chapter of Nicodemus. When you get a chance, read it. She says that God does within each and every one of us this patient, protracted process. And it's different for everybody. That's why, listen to me, you have no right to judge me. And I have no right to judge you. Because the work that God is doing in me may be at a different level than the work that God is doing in you. But here's the thing I want to let us all know today, that God is doing a good work. And he's doing it in each and every one of us. Now, some of you may feel as though, well, God's not doing a good work in me, Pastor. I'm continuing to struggle every day of my life. Listen to this. God's work, this good work, 
is a twofold work. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Look at what the apostle Paul has to say about God's good work. He says, for it is God who works what? In you both to will and what? To do his good pleasure. Don't miss this. Paul is saying that the first aspect of the work that God does in you is first of all, giving you a desire to live a life that pleases him. Everybody should have said amen. How many of you want to live a life that pleases God? Do you know why that is? Because God is doing that work within you to create that desire in the first place. You can't take credit for even having the desire. That is a fruit or a byproduct of the good work that God is doing in your life. But how many of you know that desire alone is not enough? How many of you have ever tried to lose weight? Don't look at anybody, just look straight ahead. You know desire is not enough. How do I know? Every year, January 1, one of the first things we put on our resolution list is what? I'm going to lose weight this year. By the second week in January, we have broken the diet at least five or six times. Desire is not enough. And Paul understood that. And that's why he said, for it is God who works in you both to will, to give you the desire to please God. But then he ends by saying, but this same God is the one who gives you the power to do what is right as well. Amen? So the work of any kind of transformation, whether it's spiritual or physical or whatever it may be, begins with desire. But the work that God does in us, Paul says, it is the same spirit that gives you the power to ultimately do what is right. And that's why I'm encouraged today. Listen, I may not be where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Amen? Because of this desire that I have, it is God's initiative in my life. But God giving me the power to please him is not his initiative, but his faithfulness. And how many of us today know that God is faithful? Am I the only one here today? God is faithful, not just to give us the desire, but to also to give us the power to do what is right. And how did Paul know that? How could Paul be so confident? Not because Paul read it, but because Paul lived it. Paul would always share his testimony of when God did this good work in his life to whomever would listen. He says, listen, I used to be someone that persecuted Christians, but God doing this good work in my life has transformed me into someone who now serves Christians. Is there anybody who today who experienced the transformational power of God in their lives? I didn't ask you if you were you want to be. But is there any evidence in your life that God is at work in your life for the mere fact that you want to do? Listen to me. Says that God is at work in your life. That's the easy part. 
Here's the challenging part. How does God accomplish this work in our lives? For all of us have already said that we want God to do it. Amen? But how does God do it? Turn with me quickly to the book of James. James chapter 1. You know where I'm going. Verses 2 to verse 4. Look at what God's word says. My brethren, count it all what? Joy. When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing or the trying of your faith and the faith that it's talking about here is your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ produces patience. Don't go to verse 4 yet. Just leave that there for a moment. James is saying that God does this good work in our lives by allowing us to encounter trials of every kind. And what is so crazy is that Paul says that when we encounter these trials, we should have what? Joy. When was the last time you faced or encountered a trial, a challenge, or a disappointment, and you said, I'm just so happy for this trial? God, if you could just give me 10 more, I'd be happy today. That's not what the joy means. This word joy simply says you need to understand and experience the work that God is doing in your life through the trials. In other words, the joy comes in knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for every trial, every heartache, and every disappointment that comes into your life and mine. God's got a divine plan for those trials, those uninvited, unwelcomed, unappreciated events that many times just flood into our lives. Sometimes these trials, they just trickle in. You know what I'm talking about? Other times trials and these tests just come in like a flood and you, you, you lift your voice up to God and you cry out, God, are you serious? I can't take one more. But here's the thing. God allows these trials to come into our lives because it's part of the good work that he wants to accomplish in my life and in your life. Now, some who aren't Christians will say, well, man, if, if that's what it means to be a Christian, that I've got to deal with all these trials and, and all these tests and, and all these challenges, then I don't want to be a Christian. Well, I've got a newsflash for them. Whether you are a Christian or not, you will experience trials. You will experience heartache. As long as there is breath in your body, you will experience trials, as James says, of various kinds. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part one of God's Good Work. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. 
to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in his grace and breathing out his praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life and trying to live up to impossible expectations can leave one feeling discouraged and frustrated. But Charles Tapp asks, does God expect perfection from us? Let's get back to the rest of his message, part one of God's Good Work. You will experience heartache. As long as there is breath in your body, you will experience trials, as James says, of various kinds. But here's the difference between someone that doesn't have a relationship with God and someone that does. When you've got a relationship with God, you have a different outlook and perspective as it relates to those trials. Where you understand that God is doing a redemptive work in your life through those trials. Now, see, you didn't understand this. You didn't realize this when you said to God, I want to be more like Christ. When we pray that prayer, we think that somehow God is just going to, like Victoria, just, I'm just going to put my hand on you and wham, you're more like Jesus. I wish that the way it was, but it's not. God says, okay, you want to be more like me? I'm going to give you that desire. And better yet, I'm going to bring that desire to fulfillment. How are you going to do it, Lord? I'm going to allow you to encounter trials, tests, tribulation of every kind. But when it comes into your life, take it with joy because you have the satisfaction of knowing that God has a purpose and God has a plan. Oh, pastor, that sounds easy when you say it, but it's tough when you have to live it. You don't have to tell me. You think because I'm a pastor, I don't experience these tests. I guarantee you, I experience more than what you have to experience. Because God, I believe, holds me to a higher standard. But here's the key. It's how we handle the trials. We can be defiant and attempt to handle them in our own strength. We can have an attitude that says, I don't care. God doesn't care about me anymore. We can have the attitude where we complain and we become bitter or resentful, or we can allow God to exercise us with these trials. You know, there was a time I had six-pack abs. What? No, there was. You know how I got them? I had to go into the gym and exercise. 
Now I have a two-pack. Don't do as much exercising anymore. You know why I don't? Somebody said, because you're too old. I don't like to exercise. You see, we want to be more like Christ, but how many of us are willing to endure what it takes to be more like Christ? Yeah, we all want to be more loving. We all want to be more patient. But what do you think helps you to be patient? God brings situations into our lives that could cause us to be impatient. And at that moment, we can either be impatient or begin to trust God to help us to exercise patience. You see, you want to be more loving. Do you know how God makes us more loving? He brings into our lives unlovely and unlovable people. And he says, now, be loving. You see, this issue of endurance that God has called us to. James says that if you allow these trials to work in you, they will produce this thing called patience and endurance, and it will help bring you to this thing called perfection. And here's where a lot of Christians go off board with this idea. Biblical perfection is not talking about a life of sinlessness. But when you see the word perfection in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is talking about, don't miss this, a process of being spiritually matured. So when James says that this, these trials of various kinds are going to help you to be brought to perfection, he's talking about from the standpoint that they will help you, they will help me to be more spiritually mature. That's why when Jesus came across the rich young ruler, he said, if you want to be what? Perfect. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. He wasn't saying if you want to be sinless, go and sell everything that you have. That wouldn't make any sense. He was ultimately saying, if you want to grow and mature in your walk with God, you've got to get rid of your riches because that's the very thing that is keeping you from growing in Christ. And here's the question we need to ask all of ourselves today. What is that thing that is keeping me from maturing spiritually? Is it the fact that I'm running from these trials? Is it the fact that I try to avoid them at all cost? It's like taking a dish that you've been working on all day and you put it into the oven and the timer goes off and you take it out and you stick your fork in it, but then you realize once you taste it, it hasn't been fully cooked. You ever had a dish like that? You stuck that fork in, you put that bite into your mouth and you knew from the time it touched your lips, it wasn't ready yet. So you put it back into the oven. Many of us are half-baked Christians. You see, instead of allowing God to do his work in us because of the manner in which he does it, we run away from it and it keeps us and prevents us from maturing spiritually. So we are premature in our walk with God, not understanding and not realizing that God does his greatest work through trials and tribulations. Why is that the case? Because of our sinful nature. Amen. Charles Kettering, the great industrialist, says this. 
Problems are the price of progress. Did you hear that? Problems are the price of progress. And all of us want to grow and progress in our spiritual walks, but we don't want the problems that are the very vehicles, that are the very tools that God uses to help us to mature and to help us to grow. But the key that James says here is that we need, it produces endurance. It produces staying power. And that's what helps me to mature in Christ. God does the perfecting. All he asks from you and from me is to persevere, to hold on, to not to give up. There's the old idiom that says practice makes perfect. How many of you know that's not true? I could practice singing until Jesus comes, and I will not sound like these guys here. Don't laugh because neither would you. And that's the same way it is in our spiritual life. Practice does not make perfect. Do you know what makes perfection in the Christian life? Do you know what makes maturity in the Christian walk? It's not practice, it's perseverance. It's holding on, it's enduring, it's allowing God to do his good work in your life and in mine. And that's why James says in verse 5, and any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He's not talking about general wisdom. He's talking about asking God, what is it with these trials that you're trying to accomplish in my life? Because God never allows anything to come into our lives without a purpose or a plan for our lives. This past week, I was talking with my wife. We were talking about how Christians, some of them, not all of them, are some of the saddest people you ever want to meet. You ever notice that? With all that we have, we should have all the joy in the world. But Christians, some of them, are some of the saddest people you ever want to meet. And I thought about that. Why is that the case? And here's what I believe. It's because they are dealing with the pressure of performance. They think that the more they perform, the better they will become. That's not it. Practice doesn't make perfect in the Christian walk. What does make perfection is perseverance, holding on while God does the perfecting in our lives. Who says amen to that? So we're running around here trying to create these good works which don't save us anyway, and we'll never reach it. So we have this, this sadness, this countenance over us. How you doing? Oh, child, you just pray for me. I'm just, I'm just trying to make it. I'm just holding on till Jesus comes. James says, count it all joy. Understand that with every trial, with every test, God has a purpose 
And God has a plan. And if you want to reach spiritual maturity, which is simply saying perfection, then you must be willing to allow God to do his good work in you. Which means you've got to be patient with the person sitting next to you. But more than that, the greatest patience you will ever have to exercise in the Christian walk is being patient with yourself and just hold on and instead of trying to do, just be. Just be in Christ. Just remain connected to him and allow him to do the perfecting while you do the enduring. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part one of God's Good Work, Lessons from Philippians. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now, here's what we're working on for next week. Joy, God's joy, is me recognizing and having the assurance that I'm not alone. God is there with me, but there's still something I've got to do. I've got to choose to praise God in every trial, in every test, in every heartache. Next week, Charles Tapp continues with the second part in this series on God's good work with his message, Joy in the Journey. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week.